Welcome to the podcast, Potables Network. You're listening to Power Bombs and Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Breckshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN for pro wrestling news and talk. You can follow us on Instagram and on tap at Process Potables. Check out our other shows on Twitter at Process Potables, at Pucks PPN, and at Popcorn PPN. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, check out www.processpotables.com. Well, it was 15 years ago that the band got back together. Yes, we're talking about the extreme weekend that was Hardcore Homecoming and ECW's One Night Stand and my personal experience with that weekend. We'll talk about it on this special bonus edition of Power Bombs and Potables. special bonus edition of Power Bonds and Potables here on the podcast Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates and I am your host every single week as we recap the week that was in professional wrestling, but I wanted to take uh, about an hour or so and talk about one of the most memorable weekends of my life, uh, and, and this past week we celebrated the 15-year anniversary of that. Uh, I'm, of course, talking about the extreme weekend uh, Hardcore Homecoming 2005 and ECW's One Night Stand back in June, on June the 12th of 2005. Uh, I'm just going to get right into it. So as a kid, uh, I learned about ECW when uh, I was flipping through channels and I believe it was a Tuesday night and I hit the sports channel uh, that used to be in Philly. I believe it was like channel 27, something like that. And I saw Jerry the King Lawler on this TV show, and I was wondering what it was. At this point, it was right in the middle of the ECW uh, invasion angle that they were running at the time, the cross-promotion between WWF and ECW. Um, I had watched wrestling my whole life, but at this point, <laughs> I was uh, being raised by my mom and my grandma in a house, and me and my brother used to wrestle a lot, so wrestling was banned in my house. So um, there was a lot of stuff that I wasn't really in on. Uh, 97, I missed a lot of stuff. Uh, we weren't allowed to watch wrestling again until SummerSlam 97. All right, so uh, this is happening in uh, right around that, technically. Hardcore uh, Heaven, which was that second pay-per-view where uh, Lawler and Tommy Dreamer wrestled, was August of that year, so it was around the same time. Uh, but we're going probably about June, July of 1997. That's uh, when I found ECW, and then I found it uh, eventually on one of the local channels here uh, in Philadelphia. It used to be on at like 10 or 11 o'clock Saturday nights. Obviously, uh, at this point, I'm like seven, eight years old. Uh, so I could watch it here and there. Um, the TNN show was was big. I was able to, eight, eight o'clock Friday nights, no issues there. Uh, taped all of those. Uh, big as a kid, I, before the days of cable boxes 
and uh, the internet and torrent sites and all that stuff. Well, if you didn't have, you know, the money to pay for the pay-per-view, you could always just turn on to the pay-per-view channel uh, that it would be on your on your TV, and you'd be able to hear the whole entire broadcast. It would be blurred out, uh, but you could even sometimes kind of make out what was going on, uh, but the audio was completely clear, so you'd be able to at least listen to it almost like a radio broadcast. So I used to listen to <laughs> the WWF pay-per-views, the, the, the WCW and the ECW pay-per-views uh, my whole life. Fast forward, ECW closes, WWE runs the invasion angle, and at that point, it's uh, you know, it's it's not what you wanted it to be. Uh, it was a big flop, more on the WCW side than the ECW side. WWE had a lot of ECW people, and then they brought the other ones in, uh, like Rob Van Dam and Rhino, Tommy Dreamer. Uh, they had Just Incredible in there for a little bit, um, and uh, did the old X Factor thing. Never really got off of its feet, and and that was it. You know, my um. Yeah, I I didn't have like I said at that point there was no WWE network there was no uh, internet sites you really couldn't find any of the footage so the only ECW stuff I had was a handful of things that I may have had on a on a VHS tape somewhere if I wanted to pop it in to uh, the VCR so here we go um, 2005 they announce in the well actually let's let's go back 2004. WWE releases the rise and fall of ECW. And I remember at this point, I had uh, a computer and I had, you know, the internet and, and torrent sites were a big thing. I, at, the, at the time, I was, you know, I, I didn't have the money to pay for things. I was, I was 13 years old and, and I found ways around it. Uh, this DVD, I recall, it came out. I downloaded it and I'm like, oh, I'll just watch it. It's probably like an hour long, like all the other WWE uh, you know, documentaries. This was a three-hour documentary, and I remember I stayed up till probably about two or three in the morning, waited till everybody went to bed, and I went out and ended up watching it, and I want to say it was Thanksgiving night or maybe the night after. I just have a memory of it being around that time frame uh, of when I saw it. So because of the success of that DVD, uh, and it is one of the best WWE documentaries, they tried to mimic it with the WCW Rise and Fall a couple years later, which was just horribly done. That was still, you know, WWE trying to create the narrative of what really happened there. The ECW Hardcore, uh, um, ECW Rise and Fall of ECW, that DVD, was just, it was so well done. And it sold so well that they got the idea, well, they being uh, Rob Van Dam, apparently. He claims and takes all the credit for it, and nobody really says that, that he didn't. Uh, they took credit for wanting to come up with a one-night pay-per-view to bring back the ECW guys. They had a lot of them still under contract at the point. Um, uh, obviously, he wanted to be on the card. Uh, and this way, they could kind of get a little closure on this show uh, and, and just do it that way. The issue was there's still a decent amount of people at the point that were working for TNA. Guys like Raven. Guys like the franchise Shane Douglas, who was the company's first world champion. Uh, Raven was a pivotal part. And you, and you look at ECW. My, my years that I watched ECW, late 1997 through the closing, the beginning of 2001, the, what they refer to as the golden years of ECW was 1995-1996 and probably up to barely legal, April of 1997. 
So I never got to experience any of, the, any of that stuff. There's a lot of people in that time frame that I wasn't familiar with, which is what was cool about that Rise and Fall of ECW uh, DVD. I was able to finally see some of these people that I've never actually seen before. And what ended up happening was, is because, like I said, there are people under the contract of TNA, the WWE apparently won't, you know, wasn't bringing them in. Now, Shane Douglas say, said that they wanted to try and have a talent exchange of sort. So if WWE was able to bring in the TNA guys, then they would want to use a WWE guy for something. Kind of like a couple years later, what they did when they Ric Flair was under contract with TNA. They wanted to put the Four Horsemen in the Hall of Fame. So they allowed Rick to appear at the Hall of Fame. And in exchange, you know, they could have had anybody they wanted. And they took Christian for a one-night appearance where he literally came out and made the announcement for the Hall of Fame. So WWE is not going to do this talent exchange. So that's where Shane Douglas creates the idea for a hardcore homecoming show. Now, Take this back into consideration. Uh, before any of this happens, they announced that One Night Stand is going to happen. I, being a kid that at the time was 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 fourteen years old, almost fifteen, I didn't drive. I didn't have a way. And, I'm, and on on a Sunday, there's no way. I, I had never even been to New York, let alone have somebody take me all the way up to New York. And I knew that wouldn't happen, so I was I, I was okay with that. Once I saw that there was going to be a concept for uh, another ECW-esque show uh, that was going to happen right over the, the bridge from me, I'm in South Jersey, in Philadelphia, uh, at the original ECW arena, then I was like, I have to go to this. Now, I remember I probably paid about $150 for that ticket. So think about that, a 14-year-old kid, uh, here, here's $150 just so I can go to this wrestling show. To me, like that, I needed to go and experience ECW just one time, at least one time, and this I felt was going to be the closest thing to to that authentic experience. Now, before this, they were doing a good job. Obviously, they they launched a site. It was like HardcoreHomecoming.com, obviously for the show, and they kept filming small videos that they would have uh, Joey Styles uh, and I believe Todd Gordon, uh, the original. Uh, uh, president, I, I guess, was his title of of ECW, shooting videos in their their offices and putting them up there, and they were slowly announcing matches. the 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 match that they were selling this off of was a rematch of one of the bigger ECW shows way before pay per view back in 1994. It was an event called the Night the Line Was Crossed, and it was a three way dance. Um, and a three way dance was their triple threat. They had it where it was elimination. So just after the first pin, it then becomes a one-on-one -on -one match. And it was between Sabu, the franchise Shane Douglas, and Terry Funk. And that was for the world title, the ECW world title. That was the match that they were leading this entire uh, show off with. Uh, and then I, I think eventually then they announced uh, the Gangsters. Uh, you were supposed to get... Um, uh, Checking check the notes here because I remember it was uh, no, you were supposed to get the bad breed, which is Axel and Ian Rotten, uh, who again were before the time that I watched ECW back in like 1995. 
uh, versus the Eliminators, Perry Saturn, John Cronus. And apparently, Perry Saturn injured his knee and he was unable to compete on this card. So what they ended up doing was they had to change some stuff here. But let's talk about the actual day. So, um, you know, I'm hype and I get to go to the show. I went by myself, one ticket, and I ended up getting a seat, uh, I believe in like row seven, something like that. And But I was dead center <laughs> from the ring, so where, where the hard camera shot. Uh, and if you've been to the arena since then or seen any footage since they've remodeled it, they basically shifted the hard camera side to the wall to the left of where it was, and they kind of are now shooting an opposite wall. Um, but they had this whole place set up just like the old um, ECW shows. There was no, no renovations really that had happened at this point. Uh, I got dropped off, and it was just crazy outside. There were people tailgating. Um, there were people just drinking beers with with metal music outside, and uh, other people who had uh, TVs, and they were watching old ECW uh, because um, I'm getting ahead of myself on that one, actually, but there were people watching stuff. I was going to say there was another time that I had gone, and people were watching Barely Legal, but that was after... When they did the original One Night Stand DVD release, it came with a copy of Barely Legal on DVD. So that's just a side note that really doesn't have anything to do with this, but getting my my shows at the arena crossed up there. So the first thing that I can tell you is that it was hot as hell. We're talking June 10th, 2005, and as you know from right now in that that time frame, you get some very hot days. It was on a Friday, it was in the 90s, and it was sunny This building has no air conditioning. They had a handful of ceiling fans, normal-sized ceiling fans. It wasn't like when you go to a gym these days and they had those ridiculously huge fans. No, we're talking just regular ceiling fans on the top of this this building. There was, they're saying approximately 1,100, I believe, at the ECW arena. Everybody was crammed in. Another thing to note, which I to refresh my memory for this, I went back and watched these DVDs. And the first thing I saw is right in the beginning on the hard camera side uh, with the hat guy. There's people smoking cigarettes, smoking cigars. And I forgot that there was a time, even in my life, when I was going to, to places where you could still smoke inside. And this was one of them. So 90 plus degrees outside, no air conditioning inside. And uh, you're talking 1,100 people. You're talking lights. You're talking equipment. This this building was easily 105 to 110 degrees, and nobody gave a fuck because they were there to experience what they had years prior and just relive that magic. Now... Uh, the one wall, the one side wall I noticed is just a giant Miller Lite mural now. It's a, it's a, it's a whole advertisement wall for Miller Lite. And it's like, okay. Um, I'm not going to really talk about the show. I'll just, you know, kind of run down some of the stuff uh, here because the the first match on this is Mikey Whipwreck and, and Chris Chetty versus Simon Diamond and C.W. Anderson. In the five years since ECW had closed, I started to... You know, I was seeing things for the first time. People went nuts for C.W. Anderson. Um, In retrospect, that could be because of the 
popularity of some of the stuff he did near the end of ECW with Tommy Dreamer, that massacre on 34th Street, December 2000, uh, and then Guilty as Charged, January of 2001 were great stuff. But also MLW at the time, or a year or two after, did The Extreme Horseman, and he was a, a part of that uh, as well as, I believe, Steve Carino and other people. Speaking of Steve Carino, that is a sidebar, and I did have a note. He was one of the guys that I would love to know why he wasn't on either of these shows. He was the second-to-last ECW World Well, technically the third-to-last. Um, in the very last pay-per-view, Steve Carino went in as the world champion, lost to the Sandman, who then lost to Rhino uh, three days before ECW closed its doors. But... Uh, C.W. Anderson, I just remember people yelling, C-fucking-dub, C-fucking-dub. And I was just like, people are actually into this guy? Like, all right, cool. Like, I'm into it, too. Because at that point, I just, I was in awe. I didn't even have, an, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm a kid. I'm there by myself just having the time of my life. Uh, and it didn't really matter. I was there to have a good time and, and experience that crowd. So I wanted to be a part of that crowd. Tracy Smothers uh, wrestled the Blue Meanie. Tracy Smothers, another guy who was in the FBI, but I don't remember him being in the FBI because by the time I was really into ECW, it was just uh, Little Guido and Big Sal. And then eventually in 2000, they brought in uh, Tony Mamaluke. That's the FBI that I remember. I don't remember Tracy Smothers. I didn't even remember Tracy Smothers as... Uh, what... It, I kept wanting to say T.L. Hopper, but that was uh, someone else uh, when he was uh, Freddie Joe Floyd was what his WWF name was. So I, I, I remember that name, but I didn't remember that he was Tracy Smothers. So uh, I wasn't really familiar with Tracy Smothers, obviously, in years that have gone by since then. I know who Tracy Smothers is. The best match, in my opinion, on this card, uh, it's, it's hard to, to figure. Two Cold Scorpio Kid Cash had a ridiculous match. Great match. And uh, Just Incredible and Jerry Lynn had a great match. Again, 1997, 1998 with uh, these two guys had like 20-some matches and they were tied up and they they, they word this as the tiebreaker uh, and Jerry Lynn ended up winning. Uh, but this was the first time. Now, you have to say, again, I'm 14 years old. I knew Just Incredible, but everybody there is taunting him, chanting Aldo, and then it finally hit me that he was Aldo Montoya, because obviously I remember Aldo Montoya from uh, the 90s in the WWF, and I remember the the small feud he had with Jerry Lawler where he kept beating him on TV, but I never put two and two together that he was Just Incredible, uh, and in years since, I've just, I, I, I love the work of Just Incredible, and... That that world title run in 2000 was just tremendous, and it kind of it it bugs me that there was never really cl closure on that. He dropped the belt and he was trying to get it back, and then they closed their doors. They started the ECW invasion angle in 2001, the alliance, and uh, he was brought in for that, but it was just never the same. Um, on this show as well, um, I remember specifically. Uh, New Jack came out here during the Bad Breed uh, John Cronus match because, again, like I said, Perry Saturn for the Eliminators couldn't make it. And I just still remember 
they wheeled out a scaffold that was built. And this scaffold literally it was maybe 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 five, six feet from hitting like the very roof of this building. He climbed the entire scaffold and had to basically be ducked over and he just jumped off of it onto Axel and Ian Rotten in the ring. The place went nuts. Uh, and I that, that was, I believe, it may be the only New Jack experience I ever had where they played Natural Born Killers just nonstop for five, ten minutes, however long the beating went down uh, on that loop, just like they used to do back in the day in ECW. Um, Raven and the Sandman. Now, this was an interesting thing. So Raven here at the time was having a, a ridiculous run in TNA. He was in the main event going back and forth to Jeff Jarrett for the world title at the time. And he came back and this was the first, he had kind of changed his look when he was in the WWF and started wearing like a fucking pleather skirt and shit like that. And that was still basically what he was doing in TNA. So he shows up here back with the cutoff jeans and the, 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 the grunge rock shirt old school look for him, which I believe the following weekend was the TNA pay-per-view and he was in the main event or he came back as a surprise. Uh, I think it was maybe, I think it was one of those King of the King of the ladder, uh, the King of the mountain matches that they do. And he uh, still had the, he went back to the Raven garb. So after this, he, he kept it going again, which is pretty cool. Um, and my first experience getting an actual Sandman entrance all five minutes, 16 seconds of, um, of Enter Sandman. On the actual DVD of Hardcore Homecoming, which they had to uh, edit out all of the music, uh, that's the only spot that you ever see me on the camera. He was walking through, and he literally walked. I was standing on the back end of my chair, and he was walking across the front of my chair and just walked straight through. So you get a quick glimpse of me in my uh, 1997 Stone Cold Steve Austin other side jacket shirt. Um, and got to see all the stuff. The meanie was out here again. And the musketeer. The musketeer was a character that I never was familiar with. Uh, and I still don't get it. Uh, but it was just one of those things that, that they had in the time at ECW. So the main event, uh, like I was saying, the night the line was crossed, rematch, Sabu uh, with Bill Alfonso, Shane Douglas with Francine, who as a eight, nine-year-old kid, I was just like infatuated with. You know, here's this, you know, she's like really freaking good looking chick with, you know, big boobs that she's always flaunting out there. And she's always, you know, rolling around the ring and thongs and stuff like that. It's, it's what every, you know, pre-adolescent kid wants to see and every, you know, horned up teenager wants to see. So uh, it was cool of an experience to see that. And then Terry Funk was out here and he was out here with with Tammy Lynn Sitch. Now. Earlier in this show as well, they did uh, a tribute. Johnny Grunge came out. Uh, his partner, Rocker Rock of the Public Enemy, had had passed away. Pitbull number one came out here. Gary Wolf, uh, Pitbull number two, had passed away. Uh, and Tammy was out here to uh, talk about Chris Candido, who had only passed away, I believe, a week prior. Chris Candido was 33 years old, I think. 
He might have even been younger than that. And he uh, broke his ankle, I think. And I'm just doing all this off memory, guys. And he ended up having a blood clot and he and he died. It wasn't a, a drug-related thing. It was just an unfortunate event that happened. Um, so she's out here a week later. And this is, uh, we got, we got Dar- Danny Doring roadkill who again, people were, I was familiar with, uh, it's sad that, you know, I was familiar with the public enemy from WCW, not as much ECW, um, and the pit bulls I was never really around for obviously Tammy I knew. And, and then Danny Doring and roadkill were in that late 99, 2000 ECW that I was very, very familiar with. So, um, they have Tammy Sitch come out with Terry Funk, which I was, just, I guess I was okay with. I still remember there's a spot in this match where the dude next to me uh, chucked his drink from the seventh row and it hit Terry Funk. And they came, Atlas Security, that is, they came and they got him and they took that dude and kicked him out of the building for throwing that cup. I found that was crazy that they were like, yep, it was that guy. Um, after this match and after the show, obviously you got to keep your chair and the wrestlers walked around uh, the ring. If you can get up to the guardrail and get people to sign it. And I have mine over here hanging up. I'll post a picture of it on our, on a, on our Twitter at Powerbombs PPN. And it is signed from almost everybody that was on this show, including Mick Foley, who did a run in in that main event. It was the classic ECW lights out, lights on scenario, and it came back on, and he's given the bang bang guns in the ring. Now, this was the year, I'm trying to think. So 2005 would have been WrestleMania 21. WrestleMania 21 was the year before the Hollywood one. Hollywood one was the one where we had the Edge McFoley match. So at this point, McFoley's not under contract with WWE, so he's able to show up at this show. And that was just, I think, the 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 icing on the cake because nobody, nobody thought that McFoley would be there because everybody still thought he was a WWF guy, WWE guy. And that chair has since there's there's so many names on that uh that that just they're not they're not there anymore. Uh, I'm not there, but I mean, like they're they're not alive, and it's such a sentimental piece to me because I was able to get to experience for the one last time that they did it, and I say the one last time because the arena they tried to do more of these hardcore homecoming shows. They did another one that November, called it November Rain, which was obviously a big uh thing. They would always play that as the build-up video to the November to Remember on TV. They would do, make a music video montage out of uh, Guns N' Roses' uh, November Rain. And I went to that show, and I was actually on the side that was being shot the whole time. Right there, I'm on camera the entire video. But it was on a Saturday night this time in November, so it wasn't hot, um, but it also wasn't a sellout. That show... Uh, the main event was Lance Storm. Uh, well, no, it was Jerry Lynn versus uh, uh, Just Incredible in a steel cage match where they did the lights on, lights lights out, lights on, and 
Lance Lance Storm was in the ring because after one night stand, he retired and left uh, the WWE. So he was able to make this appearance. So that show, like I said, it was just it wasn't sold out. And then a couple years later, they said that that was also supposed to be the last hardcore homecoming show. Fast forward to 2009, and now Francine ran a show called Legends of the Arena, and that does even less of a draw on a Saturday night. Myself and Joe Sheehan of the Super Smart Brothers went to that show together back in 2009, and the only moment, I don't have a chair from that show, but what I do have is the main event, they broke a table, Bill Alfonso broke off part of that table and signed the piece of table, so I have this piece of uh, broken table um, in my possession, that's a pretty awesome piece. Uh, but that was really it. You know, this weekend here in 2005 was the closure that everybody wanted on ECW. A um, couple more things, just to talk about this hardcore homecoming show. I remember I didn't get, you know, I didn't get to leave until about two in the morning because everybody was staying around and everybody was. Um, you know, getting autographs and stuff like that. They had the original ECW sign that they used to hang outside of the bingo hall. Um, there's been reproductions of this and like pin form and stuff like that of uh, what the, the sign was. But they were auctioning it off, uh, I believe, for Chris Candido's family, which would have been Tammy, Sonny, that is. And they were, you know, mind you, they didn't announce they were doing any of this. And it was like, Cash only type deal. So after everybody sweated their ass off all night, bought, you know, merchandise, because at just like any other almost independent show, there were vendors there. So it wasn't even just the stuff they were selling. You could buy stuff from other people, food, beer, and all that stuff. They're trying to raise money off this sign. Really cool piece. And I remember, I guess they were trying to drive up the money more. So Tammy offers that whoever wins she'll you know flash them whoa so (laughs) horny old me no i did not bid on the sign don't think i did that i didn't have that kind of money or bankroll today would be a different story but if you don't think that i wasn't standing on the side there uh waiting to just uh you know see all the side boobage that i could then you are horribly mistaken um and i still remember that too uh, when they put this DVD out, um, I found out that the DVDs were done through Jeremy Borash. So it was heavily TNA produced, obviously. And Don Callis, who did the announcing with Joey Styles, was not on this DVD. And I had to ask, I actually asked Jeremy Borash when I got the DVD, because I bought the DVD at November Rain why there was no, you know, there was no, you know, uh, Don Callis, Cyrus, the virus. And he basically said that it was so loud in the building that night that they couldn't use the audio. So they had to have Joey Styles go back in just by himself and retrack the entire announcing for that show, which is crazy to me. Uh, I would have honestly loved to have heard Don and Joey just one last time. Uh, that that dynamic, even now, 20 years later, is one thing that I still love going back and watching ECW shows. It's just they had tremendous chemistry together. 
So that was it for Hardcore Homecoming. Now, two nights later, uh, the WWE runs ECW's one-night stand uh, from the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. Now, personally, I think a lot of people associate ECW with the arena where they did uh, Hardcore Homecoming, but the only pay-per-view that was ever there was the first pay-per-view, Barely Legal. And there's plenty of stories from Paul Heyman as to why he felt that Barely Legal needed to be at the arena in the way that it was. But they never went back there again for, for pay-per-view. It, you know, it really wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing building uh, to shoot pay-per-view on. It was fine for TV, but not for pay-per-view. Um, and he has told the story that he told them that they, they needed to run Hammerstein because they were going to try and run the arena. He was the one who told whomever was booking the show uh, or putting that together, which I know Tommy Dreamer had a lot to do with it, but obviously Tommy Dreamer is not the one reaching out to a venue to book it. He told them that they needed to do it at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. Uh, that was where they held so many things. Uh, in 2000, near the end of ECW, they ran the entire tag team title tournament there uh, over a couple of tapings. They did the last two pay-per-views from there. Uh, Massacre on 34th Street, December of 2000, and Guilty as Charged, 2001 in January. So they're back here, and it looks great. And you can just feel the energy <laughs> coming off of this. Uh, Joey's here, uh, and they had Mick Foley as his announcer. I was kind of bummed. I would have liked Don Callis again, but I don't think that, you know, I think that it was a lot of push and pull uh, with this show. Uh, I'd like to know if there was any, I, I know that there was never heat with Don Callis and Vince because he's always talked highly th that they just didn't use him, which is why he has to leave and get out of his contract. He got brought in. He was supposed to be in a tag team with Rick Martel. Rick Martel took the money and went to WCW in 1997, 1998, which then they made him, him being Don Callis, that is just a manager with the Truth Commission. Never really got a chance to wrestle. So, one Night Stand, still, in in my opinion, is one of the top three pay-per-views of all time. You can take your WrestleMania 3s and all this and shove them right up your ass. This show, this show right here, ECW's One Night Stand 2005, was the swan song to ECW on a mainstream level that everybody wanted. You know, Hardcore Homecoming, had it happened... Five years later, it would have probably been on some type of iPay-Per-View. Um, but that stuff didn't exist yet in 2005. So the only way you can get things is on actual pay-per-view. So nobody, unless you were there, got to see Hardcore Homecoming. ECW's One Night Stand, I could sit there and order it on my box in my living room. I still have my my VHS that I, I taped this uh, back then. And there's good reason why I still have that. Um, Lance Storm, Chris Jericho... Both guys at the time, WWE guys. But it was Lance Storm's last match. Full circle with Chris Jericho. Uh, they came into wrestling as the Thrill Seekers uh, in Smoky Mountain in 1994. Uh, and this was Lance Storm's last match. You get just incredible at the end with the cane shot. Awesome pop for me. I was a big Impact Players fan. Super crazy. Little Guido and Tajiri have a match. They do the spot where Super Crazy does a moonsault off the first um, level of because uh, it's basically it's it's kind of like a, almost like a ballroom, uh, hammer. Oh, basically, it's Hammerstein Ballroom. Um, I mean, the way they shoot it, it doesn't look 
like a ballroom at all. It looked like a ballroom when they did Howard Stern's uh, birthday bash there. Uh, but any other time I've seen it has been for professional wrestling shows. So uh, he does that the the moonsault off the balcony crazy. Um, Rey Mysterio's psychosis. <sighs> the one thing that I felt this pay-per-view was hurt by was how short some of the matches were. Let's look at it this way. Lance Storm, Chris Jericho, 7 minutes, 22 seconds. The, the three-way dance, three-way dance, eight minutes, no, I lied, six minutes and 12 seconds. Rey Mysterio Psychosis, six minutes, 22 seconds. Um, I remember it was weird, Psychosis took off the mask and everybody, the entire crowd, people were yelling at him to put the mask back on. Um, I could tell you as a fan, I I hated the fact that they were trying to like intermittent with WWE guys. They had the one section where the Raw and the SmackDown guys, they came in and they were in the one balcony and they were cutting promos. And I didn't like the idea of that at the time. 15 years later, I get it. But I think because at the time I wanted more, I just wanted every little thing that I could get from the show. So I... I didn't want them to be giving me stuff that I could see every week. I didn't want to see JBL, Edge, uh, Kurt Angle, Snitsky, and all these other people that were in the in the crowd. I just wanted to see. In that time they did those promos, they could have done another match. Rob Van Dam came out. He's talked about this in the past. He was really hoping that they were going to be able to get the licensing for either Pantera or the Kilgore uh, remake of Walk. Obviously, that didn't happen. He still came out to one of a kind. That would be, if there's one thing that I never got to experience, was Rob Van Dam coming out to walk uh, in almost the same style as Ender Sandman. He would come out and the entire crowd would just, uh, the theme was just the chorus on loop. It was never any of the actual uh, vocals, but it was just respect, what do you say? And it was just over and over. But you didn't get that on this one. Obviously, he wasn't at Hardcore Homecoming. He was a WWF guy, WWE guy. Um, and he's out here. You get the lights out, lights on uh, with Sabu after he gets gored by Rhino. Rob Van Dam was hurt and wasn't able to wrestle on this show, which you know would have killed him. What I would have wanted to see more than any other match on this show would have been Rob Van Dam versus Jerry Lynn. But I think Jerry Lynn at the time was also under contract with TNA, so that would not have been able to happen. In my era of ECW, the match was Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn. They never had a bad match. You can go back and watch so many hardcore TVs, ECW on TNNs, pay-per-views, where these guys tore it up. Watch them on the WWE Network. Fast forward through the the entrance music that's, that's overdubbed. Um, but the one thing that I will say is that the fact that you got to see Rob Van Dam out here was, was great. Obviously he gets his moment in the sun in the same type of atmosphere the following year, but that show was nothing like this show. That show was, this show was ECW, original ECW. The next year's show was a hybrid. You got some original ECW, uh, but then you got the turn of where it was going. 
and I don't want to talk about that show right now because I only want to talk about uh, these these shows here. And we're almost done. Thank you for for taking the time to listen to this uh, show. But um, Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero came out, and they had uh, a one-on-one match. This match only went 10 minutes. Now, apparently, Eddie Guerrero hated this match. This was one of those matches that I just didn't want to see. And nothing against them, but to me, I didn't watch ECW when these two were there. Apparently, they also never had a match in ECW together. All their matches were WCW, which I'd saw a zillion times, and WWE, which I had saw uh, you know, a bunch of times too. What's crazy to think about at this point as well is Eddie Guerrero only passes away four months after this. So, just kind of crazy how that all worked out. To me, again, me, in my golden era of watching ECW, the final two matches were were the, the love songs to that. Mike Awesome, Masato Tanaka. 1999 and early 2000, these guys were pretty much married. And they had some of the ridiculous, most ridiculous matches I've ever seen in my life. Power bombs and stuff from the inside of the ring to the outside of the ring. Uh, I still remember, and I... They, they, I believe it was maybe the last episode of the TNN show in two th- in 1999, and they do a title change off of Mike Awesome does a sit out power bomb from the top rope, but he he basically he jumps backwards to do the sit out power bomb from the top rope on Masato Tanaka to win, and the sad thing is that that's just a crazy move, but that wasn't even like the, the craziest high spot. These two were notorious for beating the shit out of each other. And here in this match that was 10 minutes long, they did the same thing. <laughs> they went through so many tables. Uh, it Masato Tanaka classic, no sold a bunch of unprotected headshots with chairs, but that was ECW. That was, we didn't know anything about CTE in 2005. It's crazy how in 15 years we've gotten to this point, but even 15 years ago, we didn't have it. These two guys beat the fuck out of each other, and it is as old school ECW as possible. Uh, obviously, the the Paul Heyman promo lady comes out and uh, shoots, if you will, on JBL and Eric Bischoff and and whoever else, uh, Edge. At the time, the biggest pop that I got out of it was, you know, that. He said he closes it with, you know, this isn't raw. This is SmackDown. This is um, this is EC fucking W. And they have to they, they, they beep him out on ECW pay-per-view. They would not have actually beeped out fucking, but they they, they did here because it was still a WWE produced pay-per-view. The final match, which is the match that everybody still talks about. If you're going to go out, you got to go out with a bang. It's the Dudleys in their very last match in 10 years in the WWE. Back here in the tie-dye shirts, and they face Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman. Now, this was the last time that they were able to do the Sandman entrance with Enter Sandman. Now, there have been so many different takes where people have said, oh, they they got a blanket license for that show and they 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 paid Metallica 
just for one night to, to play the show. Okay, here's where my complete argument is with that. Anything from My Way, Limp Biscuit to uh, ACDC, Highway to Hell, to WrestleMania 27, where Triple H had uh, Metallica, For Whom the Bell Tolls, before his entrance. All those things are still in... They're in existence still. You don't just pay for a one-night thing. You're going to do it for all your distribution. So it makes no sense to me why they would have not done it here for that. Now, Bruce Pritchard on his podcast that just came out yesterday where they, they talk about the 15-year anniversary of this show says that, oh, it was a one-night thing and it was a, he feels that it was a, a more of a, a favor that they, they agreed to it. I don't believe that. Tommy Dreamer, who was heavily involved with this show, I actually took to Twitter back on last week when I knew that I was going to do the show and I asked him, I sent him a message and I said, Hey, so for enter Sandman and after the match, when everybody, the locker room comes out, they play white zombie thunder kiss, uh, 65. And that was the original, that, that white zombie song was the original ECW theme on TV for years before they had, uh, you know, this is extreme. And I asked him, did you guys license it for just one night? Or was it a, hey, we're going to play the songs and not pump them through the feed, which they didn't do. If you go back and listen, that is not, the, the music is not coming through the TV like any other WWE show would do production wise, where they pump the music through the, the, the mix. You're only picking it up inside of the building through the speakers was these two songs. Um, and his response, and I basically just wanted to say, Hey, you know, like, did they pay for this or was it not? His response was they aired it to live in the house, not on the replay. And then he goes, shh, it was an ECW style illegal right there from Tommy dreamer to me last week on the sixth of this month. So, that to me is the perfect closing to ECW. This entrance is in existence. There is a version in existence, high quality video. It's out there. You can find it of this show, all the original music intact. Go out of your way to watch that Sandman entrance. I do it every couple of months and have for the last 15 years. I get goosebumps every single time. 2,500 people singing every single word of that song while the Sandman is drinking beers, smoking cigarettes, friggin' pouring beer in people and in, in chicks boobs and motorboating them. All this. It was the perfect ending to ECW that night. Even the table spot and all that stuff, you know, the end of the show had the the spot where they do the brawl in the ring, Stone Cold's out there. Blue Meanie gets beat, you know, gets busted open by JBL, and all that's been well documented. But I want to just, you know, talk about my experience and how wonderful this weekend was. Hardcore Homecoming, I got my only real, authentic ECW uh, experience. Hardcore Homecoming, November Rain, Legends of the Arena. None of those things live up to the hype of what these two shows had. 
the energy is just crazy. And I'm, I have goosebumps literally right now thinking about all this stuff. Um, you know, it, Bully Ray says that, you know, Nirvana, what Nirvana did to hair metal and the grunge movement and how it killed it and how, you know, Napster killed music, but they, they also, it revolutionized both of like all those things have one thing where it took a medium to the next level. Um, ECW, you know, was that killer, was that revolution to wrestling. No one was doing hardcore. Nobody was doing the whole TNA type things. Not total non-stop option. I'm talking, talking tits and ass, uh, like ECW. And on its seven-year run, it had its start, it had its peak, it had its end in seven years. TNA, a company that people thought total nonstop action that has now rebranded itself, changed owners, changed TV stations, at one point had a ridiculous multi-million dollar deal with Spike TV, where Spike TV was paying to have Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff, Sting, just to have their ratings where they were getting 1.7 ratings, which is all WWE is doing now in 2020, to a couple years later being on the outdoor channel where they got like 70,000 people to now where they're on another show with, you know, that company has been around for 17 years, 17 years, TNA impact wrestling. ECW was only around for seven years itself, 1993 to January of 2001. And it is still the, the product holds up to this day. I find myself all the time watching the old ECW shows still at 30 years of age. It it's it's just authentic. What I will say is if you're going to watch it go out of your way to try and find versions with the original music because the music was what made the show. Um but but it's out there. Look, I'm very happy for everybody uh that you know listen to this show tomorrow night backlash um well i will be with dan we're going to be recapping that show and then after that i will go over the highlights of the other shows from the week another extended version of power bombs and potables uh in your feed so uh let me know what you think let me know some of your favorite ecw memories if you have any you know or maybe if it was after and you found stuff on the network that you like Tweet us at Powerbombs PPN. I want to know about it. All right. Uh, thank you so much for checking uh, this out. I appreciate you know me getting able to have a platform to uh, tell my story. And until tomorrow night, make sure you all stay safe and stay over.